You're listening to the Cash Valley Insider, conversations with founders, leaders, and creators about why they live, work, and play in Cash Valley, Utah. The Cash Valley Insider is a production of the Cash Valley Chamber of Commerce. Become a chamber member and learn more at cashchamber.com. So thank you. Um, we'll go ahead and turn the time over to our special guests. We Grace Grace McGuire is here from Electric Power System, and she is chair of, of one of our uh, committees. Uh, Grace works at Electric Power System, and she's a senior business development and strategy manager. And uh, we also have the CEO of Electric Power Systems, Nate Millicum, with us today. And they will be talking about the electric flying lab, if I got that name correct. Uh, is that right? So that's an exciting development. When I was running for office, we had the opportunity, uh, Chris Peterson and I, to tour electric power systems and talk with them, um, with Nate and Grace and their other team members about the exciting um, developments they're making in electric air travel and talking about commuter air travel for the future listened to a presentation at, at one of the chamber events talking about planning for uh, electric commuter travel, like at more regional, smaller airports. So planning planning for those, for the, I think they call them heliports or whatever they call them, um, but planning for the future. So that's exciting. Uh, so we'll go ahead and turn the time over to them. And then after they're done, we also have Justin Anthony here with us. Um, from Senator Lee's office and Matt Anderson from Senator Romney's office. So they're, they're going to give us some updates after, um, after Nate and Grace speak with us. So thank you so much. Awesome, thanks Karina. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Grace McGuire and as Karina mentioned, um, I'm Senior Manager of Business Development and Strategy at Electric Power Systems. Um, so we have Nate Millicum here today. Um, he's going to be talking about one of the initiatives we have um, in collaboration with Utah State and um, Representative Spenlove. Um, it's something that's that's really interesting that's going on right here in our backyard, and um, Nate has some incredible progress uh, to, to note. So, Nate, if you'd like to, to take over. Sure. Well, good morning. It's nice to be on here. Nice to see everybody virtually. Um, Today, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what the Flying Lab is. Um, as far as a roadmap for our conversation here, if you can see my slides. Third, first, I thought I'd talk about, well, what problem are we trying to solve? What's the reason for actually doing this and why is this valuable? Um, we work in electric propulsion, uh, which basically means we power the aircraft, we make it go. And our design is to do it with um, clean, efficient, and low-cost transportation methods with some of the technology we've been inventing. Um, we'll talk a little bit about how the industry is going to evolve and where it's going to go, and specifically why Utah. Um, we're working on a global scale with some of the advanced leaders. Why would we select the state of Utah and why would we partner with Utah in some of this initiative? And then I'll go into the specifics about what the Flying Lab is and what's the objectives. So let's start big picture about transportation. <clears throat> and if you're not a transportation enthusiast, hopefully I can convert you to become one because it's fascinating. Transportation greatly impacts our lives. 
And so I always like to start at the big picture and see what's going on. If you look at our state and many states like us, our state is growing. If you look at our, our growth over the past 10 years of just economic output, we average about a 3.7% compounded annual growth rate over the past 10 years. That's pretty darn good. And when you look at this um, and you say, hey, what's the difference between 2009 and 2019? Our real GDP is up 44% in just 10 years. And when you start to look at the population that we have here, our population has increased 18%. And so on first pass, if you love numbers like I do, you'd say, wow, we're doing a really good job as a state. Um, we have more economic output than we have more people. So that should mean that our people are being more prosperous. But when you really dig into the numbers, um, it's actually disproportionate. You look at counties like Utah County and they've grown like 13%. When you look at counties like Uinta County, they're actually in decline. They've lost 10.3% of their business growth. And you can partially explain this, this discrepancy of where wealth is being distributed and where economic opportunities are being distributed by access to infrastructure and access to economic opportunities. And so um, the federal government has long heralded infrastructure as a solution for growing GDP and producing economic output. Yet, if you look at the overall trends, the spend is actually decreasing. Um, if you go back all the way to the 30s, as our, a percentage of our gross domestic product, we used to spend 4.2% of it on infrastructure. And now we spend 1.5% of it. And so the interesting thing is when you dig into these federal spending numbers, um, most of it's on capital investment, most of it's on highways. And when you build new roads, um, the cost to maintain those roads generally falls back on the state. And so now the states have to increase their budgets to continue to maintain these roads. And that kind of growth is disproportionate. When you build a highway system, whoever has access to the highway is who's going to see the economic benefit of that highway. When you compare ground-based transportation systems to aviation-based transportations, aviation is disproportionate in the amount of GDP that it creates. Um, and you particularly look at these fast growing industries where a lot of jobs are being created in trade, tourism, and particularly e-commerce, commerce, um, aviation dominates as the means of transportation for these industries. Um, in fact, I looked at an IATA stat statistic in 2019, 35% of the overall world's goods came from air travel or air transportation. And when you start to just look at the trends, the costs to use these ground-based transportations are actually increasing. Um, the variable cost, fuel, is highly volatile. And we've seen it rise over the past couple of decades. But what the real trend is that's, that's concerning is our productivity is going down. And why is our productivity going down? It's because our assets are tied up in non-productive use. If you think of people as being productive, the more time you spend in your car to get to your job, the less economic output you are creating. And if you think of manufacturing goods, the more time those manufacturing goods spend in a truck to get to their destination on the highway, the more we have to spend on inventory and more capital investment we have to make. And so aviation and speed, or the point of that is 
speed has value, time has value, and aviation has been the solution to speed up the transportation of goods and people. And on the right, you can actually see over the last 50 to 60 years in aviation, we've done a pretty good job of bringing down the cost to, uh, to transport goods. But you can start to see it's flattening. Um, and that's primarily driven by propulsion technologies. Um, how we power the aircraft is the, one of the major drivers into what it, the cost of transporting goods are. And so what we've been advocating for is, well, there's some great new technologies in electric aviation and electric propulsion. And um, they actually bring down the cost to transport goods. And they can actually create airplanes now that are lower cost to operate than what they were before in missions that we didn't see before. And that's particularly in a range of about 100 miles or 150 miles. And this is a slide that basically says, well, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to invest in infrastructure and aviation? Well, we can create jobs. That's always really nice. Um, and the interesting thing about aviation jobs is the incomes are much higher in aviation. And this is just a statistic of what the medium income is in aviation compared to the overall national um, income. Um, the other thing is, hopefully, uh, our government officials are running return on investment numbers on paying for infrastructure. Whenever we deploy uh, tax dollars, the ROI on a, uh, an aviation infrastructure is much faster than a hardware than a uh, ground based one. And then the key thing is it makes labor more productive. And this is really interesting for rural communities such as Cache Valley, or uh, I mentioned Vernal, is it levels the playing field for labor. Um, suddenly labor doesn't have to live in a high cost suburban environment. Labor can actually live in a more rural environment and commute into the cities to get those higher paying jobs without having higher cost of living. And it also, as I mentioned, decreased the cost of those goods. Just in case you didn't believe me, I ran some numbers here just for fun. Um, this is actually a, a uh, study that we did on cost per seat mile per vehicle. And if you'll notice, some of the most efficient ways to get a person um, is actually an A320 or a 737. It's actually cheaper than driving your F Ford F-150. The key thing is the assumptions is, well, why is it cheaper? It's like, well, it has to be fully loaded with people and it has to go a really long distance for it to be cheaper. Because if I were to put one person on a 737 and basically fly from Logan to uh, Salt Lake, it's way more expensive than it ever is to drive your car. And that's why the cars start to win out in some of these shorter missions with less passengers. And one thing you'll notice about this is there's a bell curve. The less people that we put on an airplane, uh, the more expensive it is to transport that person. So what this is, is this is a project of an electric airplane, an EDA-40, where it's actually right here in a combustion engine. With putting, making it all electric, it's about the same cost as driving a Tesla Model Y, and it's faster. And so that's actually a game changer when you start to look at it. Um, and you look at the speed that we can travel, we're three times faster going in the air than we are on the ground. Hence the reason why electric aviation is seeing an incredible growth right now. Um, if you watch the news and you see some of the investment community that's going on, uh, billions of dollars are being thrown at this. Um, some of our peer organizations and our customers, 
Um, you look at people like Archer Aviation that's just raised a couple billion dollars. You look at Joby Aviation that's raised a couple billion dollars. The, uh, the capital markets are allocating a lot, of, um, a lot of money to basically make these new vehicles happen. So this is kind of a slide that says, well, how will it happen and where? Um, we first see the first application is kind of your traditional airplane. It's a small fixed wing aircraft. Um, then we start to see things like drones coming into play. And these are not your traditional DJI play in your backyard drones. These are drones that carry 500 pounds, 250 pounds of payload. Um, very, very important tools for e-commerce and connecting communities uh, with moving goods. And then we start to see the one that's very popular in the news right now, everybody calls this the Jetsons or flying cars. Um, it's actually, we call it urban air mobility. It's basically an airplane that takes off like a helicopter and then flies really fast like a fixed wing airplane. And then we'll start to see things like the military and regional hybrids adopt um, these type of propulsion technologies. So just a little background on us as a company, what are we investing in and what are we doing? Um, we're doing the propulsion system and we're doing an ecosystem. So what we're really good at is solving the big problems about adoption. And the big problems are, can propulsion system work? Um, and then what do you do with all those batteries when they're done and when they're dead? And then how do you make it cheap for electricity? One of the big problems with these airplanes is they take a lot of electricity to charge. And if they're all charging at the same time, then you can overload your grid really, really fast. And how the utility companies compensate for that is they charge you a premium for that electricity. And if they charge you that premium for electricity, then you can actually have the cost of electricity on par with, um, with fuel if we're not careful. And so what we do is things like microgrids and microgrids are solutions where you don't have to tax the grid and you can um, use the capacity that we don't, that we generate, that we don't use at night to recharge these aircraft at uh, peak areas. So we're developing this and we're proving this out. Um, and I wanna now apply this a little bit to Utah and why Utah? Um, and what does Utah have that other states don't have? And why should we do it here first? Um, this is gonna ho hopefully sell. I'll try to do this as humble as you can, I can, but you guys have us <laughs> and we have the best propulsion technology in the world. Um, we are by far the leader. We've developed um, over 26 different electric vehicles. We have six of them flying right now. We have a host of others that are about to fly that we can't talk about. And the most advanced vehicles that are out there are flying our propulsion systems. Um, we also have the capital and we have access to capital to invest in areas where we see an ROI. And so that greatly helps with how we adopt. We are already developing the solutions as I showed on the previous slide and deploying them in areas to make this a reality. But what you may not know is on a state level is we already have plans to adopt these technologies. Um, our Department of Transportation has already looked at where verticorts would be, where we would put highways in the sky, and we actually have provisions in Salt Lake's uh, airport's new upgrade for a vertiport. So we are already laying the foundation to adopt some of these technologies. I think the other thing that I just wanted to point out, um, there is competition out there among states. And the state of Washington is one particular state along with the state of California and the state of Texas who can potentially lead in this area. 
Um, Washington has um, a whole host of these startups as well as traditional players like Boeing who have started to do studies on where are they going to deploy infrastructure and how do they get their state ready for this? And as a result of their working group with their legislature, this was some of their findings and some of their next steps that the state of Washington is doing. And we, we generally feel that they're spot on. Um, where you deploy it and what economic benefits do you get? That needs to be quantified. Um, what incentives need to exist that government has to provide to attract companies and private investments to build the infrastructure and build the airplanes? Some of the big ones or the biggest gap in the study is how do you create a workforce to do this? And how do you educate people on this? Um, I'll, I'll share a quick story. We, we had a, a meeting last week with Utah Valley University. And as we started to highlight what these new technologies were going to be, number one, there's incredible excitement. But number two, it poses a whole bunch of questions of, well, this doesn't look like a traditional mechanic that has been trained in aviation in the past. Those people are very mechanically focused. These people are almost like electrical engineers who are gonna use their hands. Um, that's a whole new workforce. That's a whole new education system. That's a whole new training force that has to happen to basically deploy these. How do they get ready for that? Um, there's also a big question of, if you're gonna invest in these things, where do you put them? And how do you, how do you um, make it equal across the population side? Do we focus on rural areas connecting to the urban? Um, do we focus on the urban areas? Where, where do we go first? And some of the big ones being is, well, what's the power demand? What does Utah or what does the state have to do to, to actually plan and invest in generating capacity to make these things happen? So believe it or not, we have a very great educational system that can answer these questions. And um, what the Flying Lab is, is really a partnership with us in Utah State to answer some of those questions that um, the state of Washington has already posed. And I think we already have answers to a lot of these things. So just looking at um, Utah State as why, why a partner, why are they interesting is they kind of bring the whole academic and training piece together. From a research standpoint, we already have funding from the NSF. There's already a um, world renowned capability in studying infrastructure and integration with the grid and electric vehicles. And um, right now, what we're looking at is to put together a study for how would the grid and how would the infrastructure be rolled out in Utah as these airplanes be rolled out. And on the workforce side, um, I'm going to again pick on Archer because they just are going public. Archer is trying to plan to put um, thousands of airplanes in the sky per year. Um, we already have a pilot shortage for the aircraft that we have. And part of the reason why we have a shortage of pilots is it is really expensive to train a pilot. It's really expensive to train a pilot. And we, Utah, you may not know this, train 10% of North America's pilots, um, primarily because we have a cost advantage over uh, anything in Europe um, and over many other states. And so this is a very good place to come and get a pilot's license. Um, if we can reduce the cost in half to get a pilot's license, we can grow that market share by an order of magnitude. Uh, the world can come here to basically become a pilot for these new aircraft concepts. And then mechanic training, um, we all, Utah State has a world-class AMP program 
that can really participate with their flight school in developing the curriculum to train these people who are going to work on these these vehicles. And oh, by the way, as you probably know, there's a already a very good aerospace engineering school at Utah State. And so what we've done is we've gone before the state legislature to start as a pattern for how hopefully we can roll this out on a national basis of doing what we call a flying lab. And what the purpose of the flying lab is to convert um, the 20 aircraft to electric aircraft and to fly them and to utilize them in the training school. And this provides a lot of benefits. Number one, it reduces the cost of getting a pilot's license. Um, number two, it starts to have a unique curriculum and a unique pilot's license around electric aviation. Um, it also allows us to give opportunities for mechanics to start to work on these aircraft in real world environments. And the most exciting thing about this is um, the future phases. As we get data, we can start to roll this, this out. And so Utah State, when they look at the, uh, the operating cost of these electric vehicles, the very next question is how fast can I expand? but you're actually constrained by your uh, expansion if you're gonna put it in Logan because the air traffic pattern is only gonna handle 20 airplanes. And that's actually a really great opportunity for the state because the next airports they put to flight training schools um, can be Vernal, they can be Price, they can be Tooele. And when you start to look at this, we can start to create a hub and spoke system right here in Utah as a result of just creating the lab. And once we create the infrastructure just to support training, we now have the same infrastructure that can then be used for electric commuter airplanes. Um, the other interesting thing about this concept is it's really a pilot program for what other universities can roll out. Uh, we've been in discussions with Utah Valley University and Southern Utah University. And if they follow the same pattern, well, suddenly we're now making Provo an electric airport. We can make Heber an electric airport. We can make Nephi an electric airport. We can make St. George an electric airport. We can make um, Cedar City and we can make Moab. Suddenly we've connected our entire state with infrastructure at a pace um, using free market principles faster than any other state can do it. And so this is really the intent of the Flying Lab is to first get um, funding around how do we develop curriculum? How do we start to fly the electric airplane that EP Systems is certifying and the ground-based infrastructure that we're deploying here? And then also use this as a way to get a whole lot of data to say, how would we deploy this on a grander scale? When urban air mobility and when these other aircraft are finally developed, we can leverage everything we've done here now in the urban environment. So I know I've talked for a while. Um, I know you've got other things to talk about, but I'll, I'll stop right there and just open it up for any questions. I've got a question, uh, Nate, can you hear me? I sure can. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, we're in Cache County, we're always concerned about air quality do you have any kind of a sense or comparison of uh, uh, essentially the pollution factor of uh, miles traveled uh, of uh, vehicle transportation versus air transportation? 
Oh, that's a good question. So the question is percentage of pollution generated by uh, ground-based um, like automotive compared to aviation. Um, as far as a local statistic, I don't know the local numbers. I do know on national numbers um, that like IATA publishes right now, aviation is somewhere between two and 5% of the global carbon emissions in the world. Um, the bulk of the global carbon emissions are exactly what you would think they would be. Um, they're, they're automotive based. Um, these all electric ones have zero emissions. Um, the, the other thing that's really interesting about these is um, noise pollution is another thing that, that people are very concerned of. Um, these are much quieter than combustion engine and traditional props. And so we have the ability to get rid of noise pollution as well as uh, carbon emissions as a result of doing this. I think where people get excited about this, and, and this is the hypothesis of people like Joby Aviation and Archer, is if you bring down the cost to do it on par with a, a ground-based vehicle, then this will become a substitute for ground-based vehicles. Um, if it, it only takes you 20 minutes to get down to Salt Lake um, and it's the same price as driving down there, um, why wouldn't you just take an airplane as, a, as your primary means of transportation than using your, your car? Hey, Nate, uh, has there been any uh, look into how this can apply to healthcare? Uh, mainly uh, helicopters and drones. I, I'm just wondering about connecting uh, some of these rural areas. Uh, I mean, if, if you could change ground transport for EMS uh, to some type of a drone or something that can land on a street and take to a, a hospital uh, that opens up opportunities. Has there been any uh, look into healthcare for that? Yeah, no, that's a great question, um, Benjamin. Um, yes, is the short answer. And, and so on a national and global scale, there's companies like United Therapeutics who basically does organ transplant and they are developing their own vehicle as a means to take organs from the factory to the hospital very rapidly. Um, number one, they can control the environment. And number two, the organ has a shelf life. Um, in our own state, I do know that University of Utah Medical System has actually been looking at um, vaccine transmission, as well as other key um, uh, therapeutics on how they can get them to the rural environment um, very, very quickly and control them as a result of um, mostly the logistics drones. That, that's what people are looking at for those missions for more of the medical mission. Great. Thank you. Uh, Nate, this is Sean Milne. Um, I've sent you a private chat, but in case you don't see it, I'd love to meet up with you. Um, hopefully you're familiar with an entity called Deseret UAS, and we have a very similar mission in marketing and promoting the state for all the elements that you just mentioned. So just want to make sure yeah. that we can connect soon. Absolutely, Sean. I, I knew your predecessor to Linda, so um, I, I think it'd be great just to touch base. Excellent. Thank you. Nate, just from a Bridgeland standpoint, do you, um, obviously I see 
that there could be needs for texts um, from more of a certificate. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the education part on like technicians and, and things that Bridgerland could help uh, train? Like, do you, like, do you see a, a large number of, of technicians being needed? Yes, no, that's a great question, Emily. And I, I believe we're already engaged with your school, um, mostly on the manufacturing side. And, and some of the, the uh, key things you're already doing and hopefully expanding is around automation of um, manufacturing capabilities, because we've got to build a lot of batteries. We've got to build a lot of things associated with these, um, these systems. And automation is a great tool. And it's, it's a great win for um, the manufacturing role in general, it, it completely changes where in the past, um, a manufacturing person was very, very focused on working with their hands. It was very labor intensive, where now it's, it's really turning into a high-end technician. And, and it's great because we pay more for those manufacturing jobs, for people who know how to run complicated automation machines. Um, they're much more sustainable jobs uh, that don't kind of ebb and flow based on your demand profile. So it's it's exciting to see a renaissance, if you will, in in manufacturing. But it's it's a different renaissance. It's it's people who can much more have knowledge capital is deployed than physical capital. Thank you, everyone, for participating in the in our legislative affairs uh, meetings this session. Uh, you know, it's been kind of a tough past year, but Utah's coming out strong. So we appreciate you and, and your part in that. Thanks for listening to the Cash Valley Insider. For more conversations, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found.